Hello, hello, this is Tracy Harrell, and welcome to Bigger Than Me. Each week, we focus on how to achieve your definition of success and happiness. On Bigger Than Me, we bring together a combination of ageless wisdom, the latest research, and engaging interviews with amazing people who are sharing their stories to help each of us achieve our full potential. Your journey to transformation begins right now. Let's do this. All right, let's do this. I am Tracy Harrell, and I'm here with one of my favorite people. And we're doing a Facebook Live, so hello to Facebook Live. And we're also streaming live on YouTube through KKNW, 1150kknw.com, all around the world. So I'm super excited to be here, and I'm excited to have one of my favorite people, Rex Brown, with us today. How are you doing, Rex? Wonderful. Good to be with you, Tracy. Yeah. it's it's For me, I am so grateful to have you because you've participated in, today our topic is achieving racial equity and inclusion. And we're going to make it fun because at the end of the day, this is something we know we need to do. This, there's no question about it. And Rex happens to be an expert. Would you consider yourself an expert? <laughs> Isn't he cute? Does he have a gorgeous smile? Well, wait till you hear him. He's, he's awesome. So I've been leading this initiative called the Bigger Than Me Success Series, Achieving Racial Equity and Inclusion in Business, Education, Wealth, and Health. It's all about systems change. And and um, I brought in a number of individuals. I don't know if you have any of our past um, communications, Nathan, I'll, I'll send you some stuff so you can share um, in, before we end this time together today. So for our 2 p.m. and our 3 p.m. show, so 2 p.m. Pacific time, 2 and 3, and 5 and 6 Eastern time. So we're going to be going deeper with Rex. A few other people may join us, but I really wanted to go deeper with Rex because every time I brought you in with this group and this bigger than me space, you've always just said something it was just like you dropped some hot potato and everyone just like goes bananas. So I thought, okay, we need to just spend some quality time with Rex. So Rex, first of all, introduce yourself, tell us who you are and tell us why is this conversation to achieve racial equity and inclusion? Why is it so important and why now? Okay, thank you, Tracy. And um, it's a pleasure to be with you and your audience today. I'm truly grateful that you've uh, taken some time and interest to um, learn a little bit about my work and uh, give me the opportunity to share it with uh, uh, your listeners and viewers. Um, I've been involved in uh, equity, diversity, and inclusion pretty much all my life, but uh, specifically as a chosen career uh, uh, for about 16 years. And uh, part of what I do is create uh, initiatives and strategies and performance indicators uh, to uh, address uh, equity, diversity, inclusion, and specifically equity uh, within uh, organizations and institutions. Uh, it's one of my uh, hallmarks that I like to give return on investment. So I don't do it for uh, necessarily altruistic purposes, although my, my intent is definitely uh, altruistic, uh, but the impact has to be something that is on a systems level change within the organization or uh, the institution. So um, I have a lot of experience building uh, teams in cross-functional uh, types of ways. So I do a lot of things that um, uh, some may consider new or, uh, or uh, innovative, 
but there to address an old problem, and that is uh, inequity, especially with respect to uh, race uh, within uh, uh, systems. So um, that's a little bit about um, what I do, uh, who I am as a person. Uh, a lot of people often ask me, um, where's your accent from? <laughs> well, well, that was going to be my next. That was the first thing. You, you and I had a conversation when, when we first met. And I was like, OK, you look like my brother, first of all. So there was an immediate <laughs> kinship. And I asked, where, where are you from? Yeah, so Providence, Rhode Island is where I was born. I spent most of my life, uh, my adult life, uh, after I uh, left there to go to college uh, at uh, uh, Boston College. And uh, I spent. Uh, time there and uh, getting a double major in English and philosophy, then going back uh, to law school, took a hiatus, take care of family. I had a lot of different issues going on with my uh, extended family, uh, returned, uh, graduated from law school. And, uh, but I've been involved in government work far before that. Uh, so um, this is uh, pretty much uh, my, my chosen career path and um, I'm delighted to have it. I, you know, I have a little of a, of a different background because, you know, I grew up, you know, a uh, 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 minister, a PK, as they call it, preacher's kid, preacher's yeah. kid right. uh, openly gay black man. And people say, well, how did that happen? You know, you're uh, with a, a pretty conservative church at the time, but uh, I had really uh, loving and uh, understanding parents and we managed to really uh, forge a relationship where uh, even if um, we don't necessarily agree with the position, we always keep the love for one another. And I think that has been um, probably one of the defining characteristics of my life and uh, desire to really talk with and work with uh, uh, people. I love uh, that. I, I love that. What, what I love about you, the reason you and I have connected on so many different levels is because you're such a happy guy. Like, you, you, I don't know who smiles more, you or me, yeah, right? And so the first book that I wrote was called Ignite Happiness. The second book that I'm writing in right now, my deadline is basically I'm having a review with the editor on Monday. The book will be published in December. It's called Ignite Inner Spirit. The third mm -hmm. book actually relate. it's called Ignite Inclusion. And so for you to talk about being a black man, an openly gay black man, who is mm -hmm. a preacher's kid, who has a degree in English, philosophy, and law, there's some magic there. <laughs> there, there, there this is why I like you so much. My, one of my expertise is also in the area of, of systems. So we can't change anything without thinking about and changing the system. So this book that I'm writing, this, this Ignite Inclusion, there's a book that's going to come before it, because all this work we've been doing for the last seven months, intentionally, the last 20 years, I would say less intentionally, but also very focused on how do we make things better for others? And so we're kind of bringing all of these conversations together and we're creating a basically a roadmap. Here's how you do it. Like we know what to do. Companies just aren't necessarily willing to do it. You, you and I talked about how we have these major companies, Microsoft is being one of them, great company. I love Satya Nadella, but when they said, oh, we're gonna hire 50% more black people, we right. have people on talking about, oh my God, uh, please don't unless you're willing to equally focus on inclusion, right? There's tons of research that says that business case for diversity, it's a failed strategy unless only companies that actually focus, prioritize inclusion will ever see the benefits. So Fast Company, Wall Street Journal, there's tons of links um, to, to this information. Email me, <laughs> Tracy, at it's all bigger than me.com. We have all the research. So it's not my opinion. I've done over a thousand interviews. We have, I've participated in a nationwide think tank. I've done tons of Harvard, tons of research. 
talk about why it's so important that inclusion is more important than diversity. Let's talk about that real quick. Inclusion. Well, I, I, I think for, for me and for many um, um, thinkers within the area of, uh, of diversity, we, we think in terms of time. And when you think in terms of time, I think it becomes a little easier to uh, envision uh, where we are. Uh, because um, in terms of um, where uh, we are as a society, uh, the Civil Rights Act 1964 and its various uh, successive uh, amendments uh, really marked the, the end to a legally segregated society. However, segregation yet remains within neighborhoods, so forth, uh, uh, within positions at, at work. Uh, you can have today a type of diversity that you really couldn't have uh, prior to the Civil Rights Act, meaning I can work in the same place as a white person. I can uh, technically uh, occupy the same job uh, position and description. Um, in reality, uh, because there is not the intentional usage of inclusion, because really, the Civil Rights Act was thinking that diversity would fix everything. But diversity is really um, the presence of different characteristics within a thing. Inclusion is the participation of uh, that um, uh, diversity within um, uh, that particular system. And uh, so it's not just about uh, who's present at the table, uh, but who is able to eat at the table. So um, many of who's us- able, Who's able to contribute, who's able to, exactly. if at the table, you're talking about a meal, who's able to help to identify what's on the menu, who's able to truly bring their authentic selves to the table. We talk about that, but I, I mean, right. all of the research, and I, and I, I all of the research says we have failed at this idea of diversity and inclusion. We failed. We're not, we're not focused on the right things. Right. Well, I mean, th there's been some progress. Don't get it twisted. There's mm -hmm. absolutely been progress. But if we're trying to make things better for our, for our children's children, if we're trying to make things better immediately to create the space of inclusion. To, to really get the benefits of the business case for diversity, we have to right. focus on inclusion. Right. Any, and any, I, I think any disagreement I think with your, that. Your point is um, is absolutely spot on. It's absolutely accurate. And um, we can we can many times think that um, that diversity because I looked in the room and I saw that there were ten black people, uh, I suddenly have this wonderful um, uh, environment. Uh, the ten black people may be on their way out the door because of some particular type of discrimination because they're not welcome there. Uh, but you know, you we are used to making these assumptions about the presence of diversity and those assumptions can no longer um, uh, be tolerated. Uh, they, they create uh, adverse impacts within, uh, within workplace, uh, within business, uh, within the environment. And I think that you know, many, many businesses are well-meaning in their desire uh, to be inclusive, but they think about uh, inclusion in a very 1970s kind of way which is I'm going to hire a brown person. I'm going to hire so many other white people. I'm going to hire a black person. And the reason that 
fails is we really lack the ability to see how all of these different candidates, all these different businesses can contribute beyond that pigeonhole we've already put the person or the business in. So uh, I think inclusion really recognizes the unique value that people bring to, as you were just saying, and um, not assume that uh, the only value the person brings is the color of their skin, their gender, the sexual orientation, um, uh, their ability, uh, and so forth. I'm actually writing an article right now for a national magazine. I'm super excited about it, but they asked me to write about leadership and, and how can we get leaders to think differently, to challenge mm -hmm. the status quo? How can we get people to really accept the numbers? I mean, if, if, if this were a case where the numbers were not telling the story, then we'd have a hard, harder battle, right? right? All of the numbers are clear. Diversity is absolutely valuable for every business. Businesses that are more diverse or more, they're more creative, they're more successful, they're more profitable. All of the research says that. Mm -hmm. If they're more diverse and inclusive is when you get the benefits of that. And so the, right. uh, the research also says that the number of black people in business roles, right, who, who have a optimal experience and that's, that's demonstrated through their ability to stay in a particular role for X amount of time right, mm -hmm. is exponentially less than every other category of diversity. And so now what we're asking leaders to do is to take a different look at equity and inclusion. And so what we're doing as a part of this conversation is to say, you know, let me know if you have the video, um, Nathan, where we like to bring in Brene Brown. She's one of my favorite people. And when she talks about equity and inclusion or diversity, she basically talks about the three Ps. She talks about privilege, perspective, and power. Right. Mm -hmm. We're talking about systems because there are systems in place that that maintain the status quo, that create that environment where you can only get to a certain level, where you only your opinion is only tolerated if you're different to a certain degree. I mean, I have thousands of interviews. There's there's not just me, I mean there's there's years of like there's 40 years of research on the idea of diversity, equity, and inclusion that says the same thing. So what I realized is if I die tomorrow. I need to know that I am contributing to make things better mm -hmm. for the next generation. Like th these are things that we know and God made it very clear. I'm also writing in a book. The book is called Ignite Your Inner Spirit, <laughs> right? Because this is like, I, I know, I know that this is what I was put on this earth to do. No one does this better, right? Like as far as connecting people and the stories and like, this is what I was meant to do. I have a role in making things better, but we all do. That's the message of today. If you're watching this on video replay and you decide that, that there may be something to what I'm saying <laughs> as it relates to research from Harvard and Wall Street Journal, every, every research institute, every university and business organization that exists, all the numbers tell the same story. There are less African-Americans in, in, in business and leadership roles now than there were 10 years ago. Like whatever, the, there's some there's some decline that we're seeing that's insane, insane. So Many we're going to talk about solutions. From a height in the 70s, it's been a continual slow, uh, but accelerating decline since right. then. And you, uh, yeah, I know you've done some work around this diversity. What, what is it? You did some work with the, the government. You worked with the so you work for the governor's office and yes. you did a disparity study. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's correct. I'm going to, I'm going to have, um, I'm going to have Nathan share one of our Brene Brown videos, because one of the things we're asking people to do leaders to do and business professionals to do is to tell their story. 
So Nate, let me know when you're ready to tell the, the to show the video that I love, where Brene Brown talks about the, telling our stories. This is what we say for this initiative: stories that we own, we get to write the ending, and stories that we don't own own us. So when things happen in corporate America that we know are the result of unconscious bias, similarity bias, unequal performance standards, a lack of executive and leadership accountability, when those things happen, mm-hmm. we don't talk about them. Right? Why? Right. Of course. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. So probably black person decided they're going to challenge the status quo. They're going to say, hey, this isn't right. Right. And so, you know, they're either going to be embraced or not. And you've talked about a system before. Tell me mm-hmm. about the system. Tell me about this system. You said systems exist because people believe they're powerless to change them. Tell me about that. That it's it's. Um, systems are ways of influencing and in many cases dictating your behavior in ways that you don't even recognize. So your choice to do a thing um, you think is your own. In fact, um, there is a larger system that is instructing you as to um, boys wear blue, girls wear pink. uh, eggs. Uh, I have a colleague uh, who has a, 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 ver- a really uh, great uh, uh, moment, uh, moment in one of her uh, disparity uh, in one of her uh, diversity uh, classes, where she says eggs are for breakfast. The only reason we think that <laughs> really because of a marketing uh, type of uh, system that has convinced us the only time that we eat eggs are during breakfast, but you can eat them anytime. Um, that ice cream is uh, something only for the summer, but the studies show that it's eaten more in the winter than any other time. So those are just a few of the things that, you know, uh, of the ways in which systems uh, work to influence us. And the more we are unaware of that, uh, the easier it is to uh, control uh, our behavior in ways that we perhaps might not like. And uh, I think that um, some of that has to do with the types of jobs that we choose and the types of jobs that people feel uh, we are able to do. Um, Perhaps the only thing that when a person looks at me, thinks that I can do because of a system is that I can only play football. You know, if I uh, I can, uh, that the system dictates that my uh, presence is a threat. Uh, in that uh, when I walk on the street, I have an exponentially higher risk of uh, violence towards me because of uh, the systemic belief that a black man is a violent person. So I've um, heard a lot about that uh, since the, uh, the very tragic uh, uh, events with uh, George Floyd, uh, Breonna Taylor, and so many others that we are now becoming aware of. Uh, but really, uh, that awareness does not thwart the system. Uh, it will take uh, really concerted and specific actions in order to do that. Can you speak up just a little bit louder? Yes. Uh, so it will. You said, it, you said the awareness doesn't the, actually. Does not defeat the system. Awareness is not sufficient to defeat a system of inequity. You, there takes it requires very specific uh, action. Um, uh, on the part of uh, those of us who are in the system being impacted by it and those who benefit from it. So um, it requires both 
uh, a release of that kind of privilege within the system and um, really for those impacted moving into perhaps a really uncomfortable space uh, for them um, uh, to achieve success. I, I love it. So we're gonna, we're gonna play a real quick video, one of my favorites from Brene Brown. Uh, and this was actually shot a few years ago after the Charlottesville situation. It's so interesting how it's perfectly applicable today. Go ahead and share our video, Nathan. If we own our story, we get to write the ending. And if we don't own our story, the story owns us. And I think in the gifts of imperfection, I really, that was the first time in my life personally that I've owned my story, that I wrote about, hey, look, I had this complete breakdown at 41. Um, I fell apart. I got, I was so tired and exhausted from trying to outrun vulnerability and outrun perfectionism. If we think about collectively, if we know it's true in our own lives that the stories we own, we get to write the ending, and the stories that we don't own, own us, we can take that micro lesson and apply it in a macro concept, in a community concept. The stories that we don't own collectively own us. We have to own the story in order to write the different ending. And I know it's painful, but it's not as painful as spending our lives running from our story. And our collective story in the United States is a story of white supremacy. That is the story, that's our story. And we have not owned it. So now it, it, still, it owns us, it still owns us. And it defines us because we have not had the courage to step in and own the story and say, this is the truth about where we come from and what we've done. And it's, I think what's really powerful for me personally is understanding that the pain of owning, the pain and discomfort of owning that story is, is tiny compared to the pain and discomfort of living out that story. Trying to get my light in a good position here without disturbing the video. What do you think about that, uh, Rex? Um, I think that it is, you know, it, it's a brilliant observation. And what's really funny um, about that observation is that it works on a personal level of story and a systemic level. Uh, I can tell you a little bit about how the systemic uh, happened for, uh, for me and the work that I do. Um, we were in, um, uh, you know, the, uh, the state of Washington I think, um, on this specific, um, uh, uh, I wasn't on the specific uh, 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 job at the time, uh, but the Civil Rights Coalition had noted that from a hot that, that there had been a lot of decline in the participation of minority businesses. They didn't have empirical data on it, but they said, you know, we've been hearing a lot of business closing up and so forth. And so, uh, what happened? It went from a high of 16% down to uh, a utilization of 1% for businesses within the state of of Washington in terms of utilization if they were minority or women. And the way that we told that story was to observe that, to, to put it in words, but then to ask leadership a simple question. Are you happy with that? That became uh, the story because the story is that we are not happy with uh, underutilization of minority and women within the state of Washington. But what do we do about that, right? 
So the story was that it was simply going on and there was nothing we could do about it because there weren't any of those people uh, available. There weren't any of those businesses available. But by claiming that story, and it took individuals outside of the system, right? Uh, so the Civil Rights Co Coalition, a number of, of different leaders came together from all uh, walks uh, of life to, uh, to focus on that work. And they were very successful in insisting that the story be told and that uh, the state be accountable for the changes that took place as a result of that. And because of that, you see uh, part of that work culminate and the disparity study itself being conducted. And um, for leaders actually uh, saying that they're going to do something about um, uh, the poor statistics we see on utilization of minorities and women on state contracts. Mm. But that's, again, back to claiming your story. If we had not done that, uh, that we would still be living the other story, which is there just aren't any of them out there and there's nothing we can do about it. Mm. Did you hear that? I just, I just love that. I mean, I, I think that's why I wanted to take a little bit of time and just connect with you because you're, you're one of those individuals and we, we, we've done some work that we know the solution. We have to get businesses, but we also have to get black professionals who are in those businesses to decide that their comfort level, they're willing to risk a little bit of their comfort level. In order to help the greater good to acknowledge, that, yes, these things do exist. Yes, right. these are opportunities that we all have to, to, to move the needle, to actually change the status quo. I, I'm excited about this for, for a number of different reasons. Yeah. You, I know you said that you had, I'm going I'm to have you email to Nathan. Um, if you could just do a, Nathan, I'll have you, I am, put your, your, um, your email address in the chat for him. Uh, so I'm going to have you email to Nathan a couple of links to your disparity study, because in the second hour, we're going to talk about them in a little bit more detail. And I want to at least make sure he has access to them and the, the, the two links. So okay. wh while that's happening, Nate, I want you to go ahead and share one more video. The one that I love as well was this idea of power, because, it, you know, telling your story is one thing, right? That's one important part of the solution. Another part of the solution is actually activating expecting, requiring, increasing a level of accountability with leaders on what we can do to actually change the status quo. When we see these things happening, when we see unconscious bias happening, when we see unequal performance standards happening, when we know that there's similarity bias and there's a lack of leadership accountability, when we know those things are happening, we can't just think about them as academic um, incidences like these are things that are happening oh we, we've learned about unconscious bias right box check i i see that it's happening no you have to actually stop you have to act you have to intervene the only way to change a system rex we've talked about this before the only way to change a system is to actually intervene to do something different so i'm gonna have you show this real quick video on power can you do that for us nathan the last p is power we hate the word power. God, we hate the word power. Um, we hate the word power. But let me, let me give you a simple definition of power from Martin Luther King. Power is just the ability to affect change. And then let me tell you about powerlessness. As someone who's spent my entire career studying shame and fear, powerlessness is the most 
dangerous state that we can ever experience. It leads to violence, isolation, shame, self-harm. Power is just the ability to accept, to, to affect change. For somehow, we have come to the belief, not just in this country, because I work all over the world, that power is finite. That if I share some with Olivia and Genia, that's two pieces of a pie of eight. And now I only have six eighths of that pie left. It's a zero sum game. But that is not power. That is power over. And power over is finite, for sure. And I think what we're witnessing across the world today is power over's last stand. We are picturing really fearful, desperate people saying, I am afraid to move from a world of power over to power with and power to, to shared power, a belief in power that's infinite, a belief that power doesn't run out. It's not zero sum. There is no evidence anywhere that power over is effective because when we lead and when we act, and even when we parent from a position of power over, we by definition disempower people who have great experiences, ideas, and stories to bring to the table. Oh, don't you love that? Oh my goodness. That's literally one of my, one of my favorite videos because what she's talking about is that, you know, systems of inequity exist because people believe they're powerless to change them. That's how it's been. That's how it's always been. That's just how it is. What can I do? Well, I is we. We get to choose an intentional action that really can change the status quo. And it is about speaking up. It is about sharing a different level of info and accountability about your story, telling your story. I've had so many amazing people tell their stories on this as a part of this initiative. And what I love about it is every time someone tells a story about anything, when you were you on the show when Rachel was telling us about the bear, bringing home the bear? Yes, yes. So, so this is like a fairy tale now because we've all experienced it. What, what was your? I could tell it, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna curious. What, what was your interpretation of that story as it relates to what others can can experience and would um would absorb as as a possible experience that that we've all either had ourselves or. <laughs> yeah, I th I think it's about overachieving within a certain um uh, within a certain realm till it becomes normalized, whereas um. Uh, the comparison between our counterparts uh, who look differently than us is that they don't have to do that. So no matter what you do, once you do it, once you kill the bear, bring it in, um, there's still more expectation of you um, and uh, less appreciation um, for the fact that uh, you deserve to have uh, an equal opportunity, not uh, an excessive burden or challenge. And what I loved about her when she said she, she she told it as a fairy tale, and basically she said one of her mentors said, "Oh yeah, you know, you someone asked you to go kill a bear, they give you a, a what did she say, a straw and a some duct tape, yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. a stick and some duct tape, and they tell you to go out and, and and kill the bear. You know, she's like, you know, you go out, you kill the bear, you drag it back into the into the campground, as she described it, and she said, and people are looking at you like you're crazy, and you're like, hey, here's the bear." Right. right. What did she, say? she said? She said the answer was that the reason that happens is because there's no no one expects you to to, to bring home the bear. 
And if they gave yeah. you a stick and some duct tape to do it, we can assume perhaps they didn't want you. Yeah. They didn't want you to bring home the bear. So when you do, because you know you can, because that's kind of how we roll, we're told. We are right. groomed to say you got to do five times as much to get half the credit. Am I right? Absolutely. And I think that, you know, the difference, you know, there's a difference in, in terms of perspective on this uh, power and perspective. She's going to be going in perspective next. But um, there's a difference in perspective because I think a lot of people who would uh, tell me, tell you, uh, tell her to kill the bear don't the have the world. perspective that we've been in that position before and we found out a way to no matter what, do it. So it is a tradition of actually doing that. So it's going to happen, right? We're going to overachieve. And as you said, five times, do twice as much, five times as much as the other person just to be considered half as good, right? Um, that is an experience, I think, that most African-Americans, regardless of generation, can, um, can really empathize with and, and see. But um, I think it's not only African-Americans who face it, but especially African-Americans who face it. I, I love that. And what I love about this work is we have so many people who are engaged in this initiative. And what's exciting about the initiative, if you're a leader, if you're someone who's committed to equity and inclusion, if your organization has talked about what they want to do in the area of equity and inclusion, it is up to you to, to share that there's, a, there's additional work that needs to be done. Again, the business case for diversity is not about bringing people in that don't look like you. It's about the inclusion factor, right? Tons of research exists. Right. More than we can <laughs> bring forward. But it's really not about the research. It has to be about brave people being willing to tell their stories. And then those of you who, who are allies, who can serve as allies, being willing to, to, to step up and say, I want to be a part of the different, you know what, something doesn't look right here. I call it a bigger than me moment, right? So, so we're basically creating a movement that allows us to really have a different way of being. In order to change a system, you have to create some new actions for people. It can't be the default. We have to be able to clarify that, you know what, at the end of the day, we actually can change things. We can right. change things. So even if you don't know what to do or what to say, just simply by saying, this feels like a bigger than me moment. <laughs> right. And I, I think that, you know, for, for me, I've been hearing from a lot of my friends and uh, colleagues that, you know, and, and uh, to follow the example uh, that they're, well, the fairy tale, that they're sick of bringing the bear back, right? They don't want to bring the bear home anymore. They're done with that and they want something new. So what Brene, Bra Brene Brown uh, really uh, sees on, she says it's going to be the last gasp of power over. But it's going, it, the gas might go on for a long time, you know, um, because it will require uh, a, a fundamental change in uh, the way we approach it. But we do have to speak up and say, I don't want to do this anymore. Mm, I love it. I love it. I, I, and not only do we have to speak up, it's really those around us that need to speak up, that need to actually be in a position where they're able to share something different. So part of the consulting work that I'm doing now is really to help leaders and organizations, whether it's one-on-one -on -one coaching, teams, speaking engagements, where I go into organizations and we talk about this. I'm actually doing some of the presentations for entrepreneurs that are part of SCORE, Seattle SCORE. We have these national engagements as a part of partnerships with National Black MBA Association. But what I'm gonna be asking Rex to do is to formalize. We're actually, he's, he's gonna actually step in 
and support us from a leadership perspective with the National Black MBA Association Seattle chapter. I'm transitioning off. We're bringing in Rex and several others to lead the organization in the future because we need people who are who get it basically, who are willing to continue to move forward an initiative that says we are going to be a part of change. I was so proud of Bruce um, Bruce Thompson. He's the president of the national organization, and basically, as a national organization, they basically shared that we are willing to and we believe that we must now is the time for us to change the status quo we can't watch something like george floyd get murdered you know on national television and decide there really are no systemic issues right, right. the thing is in addition to the systemic issues that were being protested that are being protested in the streets of, of of america are happening in corporate america and that's the thing that i really want to change for the next generation i literally had interns in my office right i think i told you this story before i've had mm -hmm. interns in my office wanting to commit suicide, telling right. me about their experience because they were the first in college. We don't talk about it. So when they have an experience where they're experiencing unconscious bias, unequal performance standards, similarity bias, a lack of leadership accountability, and, and th they don't know what to do because we've never told our stories. Right. It's, it's like it doesn't, it's like it's just them. I've had to talk about the system. Oh, let me call your mom. because You know, you're the, you, you're the first one who's, who's gone to college. She's not going to understand what happens in corporate right. America. These are things that research, research is done. Every individual in any Fortune 500 company has had some training on unconscious bias. But, you know, it's really funny because we talk a lot about our, our participation in this system, right? And what we do is when people do want to tell their story, we say, oh, look, sit down. You, you ain't the only one going through this. We're all going through it. You need to get over it, right? So we've got a history of saying that to one another. We understand, but you know, you can't tell too much of the story. You can, you can mention it here and there, but in terms of really delving into why things are as they are and why they shouldn't be, we don't really do that. And so, but I, I think this is what I'm experiencing is people just, you know, whether it's text, email, telephone call, they're just telling it. But so, so yes, and what I love what that you said is, and, and again, we've done, we, you've done a disparity study. This is a nationwide, statewide disparity study. I participated in nationwide research, Harvard, Wall Street Journal, the Business right. Review, Fast Company, like all of the major companies, every, every business, every institution of higher education has said the same thing as it relates to education and, and blacks in business. Like we know the challenges, we're not willing to talk about it and nor are we willing to do something different to change it. Right. And if we're not willing to talk about it, then we'll never change it. It's like acknowledging that there is a wart on my nose. Well, I will never get rid of the wart unless I'm willing to have a conversation about warts. It's okay if we all agree that we want to move forward, then we got to do things differently. And what, what's exciting about this is we can do things differently. It's really not even that complex. Right. It's just about right. finding the organizations and the individuals that are saying, you know what, we're actually raising money. We're actually raising funds right now to take everything we've done over the last six months and turn it into a book. We have tons of videos. We're creating a video series. We're going to make sure this information packaged as it relates to systemic changes in every school. It's available online for free. We're not, it's, it's not meant to be, <laughs> it's not meant to be for sale, although we are coaching and consulting with leaders and organizations if you want to deep dive. But at the end of the day, we got to put this out there almost like the cure to polio. It has to be free and available for everyone for it to truly permeate and eradicate polio. There's no more polio because people, we talked about it, we've identified right. a solution and we, and everyone implemented, did their part.
implement the solution. And so you can reach us at it's all bigger than me.com. I T S A L L bigger T H A N than me.com. And, and, and there's so much that's happening. We're doing these monthly sessions. We have several organizations that have just, I mean, I, I'm, 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 sometimes I tear up at how beautiful people because again it can't be black people having this conversation we can't be talking to ourselves so you think about the allies and the advocates that have stepped up and said you know what count me in it's so beautiful and, and, and it is a little risky clearly it's a little risky but you know if you're not standing for your values then what's the point right, right. If, you're, if you're not standing up for doing what's right can you look at yourself right in the mirror every day? I mean, we just we just get numb to it, right? And and today is an opportunity. It's an open opportunity, a loving opportunity to create a safe space for each of us to learn and grow. And so I wanted to talk a little bit. We got a few minutes here, and I wanted to first find out from um, Nathan: Were you able to um, were you able to pull up this? There's two documents on your site. Why don't you tell us a little bit about? The, uh, where people can go to find information about this diversity sure. study. Uh, so for more information on the disparity study, you can go to www.omwbe.wa.gov. Uh, under the tab subcabinet, uh, you'll see a subtab uh, disparity study there. You'll see some resources, how to read the disparity study. Uh, you'll see a PowerPoint from the actual, also oh, understanding the disparity study to the right. Uh, on the bottom of that, you'll see Washington State Disparity Study Presentation by the independent contractor Colette Holt and Associates, who uh, conducted uh, that study. And um, for the uh, actual study itself, it's uh, over 200 pages, so it's read the disparity study. I highly recommend that you read the Understanding Disparity Study first and the Executive st Summary of the actual study first, uh, because it'll probably be a lot clearer to you about some of the conclusions. In the disparity right. study itself, uh, we take a look at basically uh, how much of, a, uh, of the businesses do you have in the state, uh, what we call availability, and um, how much of uh, those businesses um, uh, have work with, uh, uh, have contracts with the state, what we call uh, utilization. So that's a, a ratio that we use, uh, availability uh, divided by utilization to come up with uh, our actual disparity study uh, ratios um, disaggregated by race. So you'll have Black, uh, Asian, Native American, uh, and then disaggregated by uh, gender and race, uh, white, female, um, and um, uh, non-white uh, or minority female obviously would be white males and uh, the larger group as well. So that, that breakdown is where we get to see uh, some really um, interesting statistics by industry. Um, in this study, we had uh, not just construction, uh, not just goods and services, but also client services included within the disparity study ratio. When you look at it, you think, oh, well, you know, it looks like um, there is some disparity, but, you know, people are, are doing okay. Out that um, uh, disparity study ratio by uh, removing uh, the client services, which are not subject to competitive uh, solicitation, meaning um, there are rules um, uh, uh, 
RCW 4960-400 dictates that uh, gender and race are not to be included within um, the uh, selection process uh, deliberately because it's an anti-affirmative action provision. However, uh, with client services, uh, uh, the mission to have culturally, culturally competent care is, drives that so uh, one can uh, choose as many minorities and women as one wants. What we notice is that in client services, there isn't a problem. Uh, well, there may be a problem based on uh, representation throughout the entire chain of procurement, meaning those kind of entry level uh, front uh, line services versus actually uh, those who control the contract um, uh, or the general contractor um, uh, versus the subcontractor. Um, what we did see is that um, without client services, uh, there is an, an extreme drop off in participation amongst minorities and women and significantly um, down to um, uh, one digit uh, of representation uh, for African-Americans specifically. One of the things that was a, a little bit of a surprise because we had anticipated that minorities as a whole would uh, feel the burden the same way. Uh, but in reality, the way the systems have worked out uh, is that inequity is um, uh, impacting certain communities heavier than others. And so um, our specific solutions um, need to consider that as well. Uh, I'm sorry, I can't. I, I can't hear. Thank you. Is that better? Yes, much better. <laughs> Thank you. I, I took a sip of water and forgot to bring this back down. So what I love about this is th this is part of the conversation. This is part of the work that we've been doing. We haven't. We had never really got a chance to really get deep enough into the work that you're that you've done through the governor's office. We hadn't really been able to talk in depth about the findings specifically in the state of Washington. We know what they are na nationally, and we've done some national think tanks, but specifically here, would you say that you've worked in other parts of the country? Is it similar? Are the results typically? Um, uh, no, uh, in other parts of the uh, country, um, you know, most uh, parts of the country, uh, more than 40 states do not have an anti-affirmative action provision. And um, the utilization does not look like this. It's very different. We didn't expect to see some of the things that we saw in terms of utilization for Native Americans. The population was so small that it looked like you had large representation, but found out it was really uh, one um, uh, uh, Native American-owned or tribally-owned uh, uh, firm uh, that had half of the contracts. So, of course, that skewed the statistics everywhere. So um, those are the kinds of things that when we don't look at inequity over long periods of time, the results get stranger and stranger. It takes, you know, one of the, one of the things that I have learned um, comparing, let's say, Massachusetts to Washington is that it really does take concerted attention um, on the outcomes that we want, the results over time. You have to be intentional uh, about the impact. Uh, otherwise, you're going to end up with a uh, more and more skewed population, and it becomes more and more difficult to solve the problem. The longer it goes on, the stranger it gets. <sighs> I love that. 
<laughs> Not that it's good news, but I love the fact that when you say it, it just it, it's it's just so matter of fact. Like these are the things that we know to be true, right? We know that right. there's been challenges for an extended period of time. We also know there's good news. I mean, th- th- this isn't a bad news show. This is all about good news. I think today I brought you on to be very specific. I wanted to be more pragmatic than we normally are. Um, I didn't want you to do anything other than just like, you know, share the facts, share your experience. And let's talk also about if you're a business owner, um, if you're a um, business owner and we're saying, what can you do to create equity and inclusion in your organization? What can you do differently? And we've talked a lot about the idea of creating inclusion Uh, helping people to feel not only listened to, heard, but also uh, creating a space for people to tell their stories. And Mm -hmm. then you mentioned when someone tells their story, hearing that perspective. Did did I share with you today the the video for Brene Brown on perspective? No, that's that's next up. Okay, so why don't we just share really quickly. Oh, we got five minutes left in this show. Okay, so we're going to start the next show. We're going to start the next show. (laughs) We're going to start the next show on perspective. We only have five minutes left in this particular in this particular conversation. So we're going to start the next show. Stay with us because we are going to talk specifically about again, how do you include, how do you create a space mm-hmm. for <clears throat> leaders and individuals to learn and grow together to create this safe space where people want to do the right thing and they want to move forward. I, I love this more than you know. Um, what's exciting about this is I've had a number of organizations reach out and, and, and want me to come in and talk to about this initiative to talk about this idea and what i say is i can talk about it you know we we can definitely host you know these keynote sessions and we can get people excited and and interested in um hearing stories we can tell them exactly what they would need to do to create a safe space we can also talk about the, the changes that are necessary within a system to actually change the system but I love what you just said at the end about the need to be intentional over time. Can you just help end, help us to end the last few minutes of this particular show about why it's so important for people to be intentional over time as it relates to changing systems? Um, we're in immediate gratification culture, sadly. Uh, there are some cultures that really look at history um, and the future over hundreds of years. Right, we look at it. What's going to happen in the next few months? Uh, we're in a pandemic. I don't want to be in the house for the next week. I want out. I want answers immediately. I mean, that's the way a country works. However, you can't have immediate uh, gratification in terms of results uh, for overcoming systemic changes because the system, again, is uh, has a mind of its own and will frequently counter your actions with reactions to go to default to the status quo. So the system is always trying to get to status quo. So whatever you do, you got to recognize that there needs to be successive actions because there will be reactions based on your uh, your particular work. And so, um, you know, the best way to um, stymie that is uh, through allies who participate, not just uh, I'm going to a potluck and uh, I, I gave it the office, that's it. Um, but something over time that proves that in fact we are with this work. Right now, we see the woke moment, right? Lots of people went out and protested. Lots of people were uh, active, thankfully, 
you know, uh, we had the highest participation in the nation um, uh, in uh, our election. That can't be just this year. That can't be just what we did then. That has to continue to go on. Do I mean protests need to go on forever? No, what I mean is um, uh, calls for accountability. And we need to normalize that so that it is a part of our system, right? That we recognize that there are results we don't like that we need to counter. If everything stays the same, we are, um, we're, we're doomed to a, a, a possible future where one, one pandemic wipes us all out, right? It's kind of like the banana. What was it, the gross Michael banana that no longer exists? Everybody loved this banana. It tasted so good. Everybody got the same banana. And now, uh, you know, what was it? Panama disease wiped it out, right? There's no more such banana. You know, so we don't know, even know what the, the banana that everybody loved really tastes like. We all have these other lesser bananas. But anyway, uh, it takes, it takes uh, diversity and inclusion of that diversity in order to have... Uh, a few people who are bananas. I mean, <laughs> we're all bananas. Stay with us. We have to close this hour. We're gonna close this hour out. Stay with us though, because we're gonna come back and we're gonna be very intentional about the next steps. We're going to continue this conversation with Mr. Rex Brown from the governor's office. How, how what did you describe your office? governor's office on business diversity and supplier diversity? There you go. The governor's office on business diversity. And he is a, what did you, how did you identify yourself? Black. Oh, oh, oh openly black, gay black man. Openly gay black oh, man. I thought you were going to ask me, was I program director or what? Because <laughs> no, no, no. now we're talking about inclusion for all. So this isn't just about black people. This is about inclusion for all. So he has a degree in, edu in education, philosophy, a law degree. In Say that again. English philosophy and English law. philosophy and law and law and, and he's dedicated his, his life to this idea of equity and inclusion so join us stay with us we're gonna have a three minute commercial break we'll come right back this is Tracy Harrell I'm here with Rex Brown and we're gonna continue this conversation on how to achieve racial equity and inclusion in business education wealth and health systems systems change stay with us we'll be right back <laughs> 